Everyone ready to go? And you can hear me back there. Okay. Um, as we were discussing teaching last week, and Brandon asked me to um, teach, um, I actually was kind of struck by um, some verses in James not too long ago, where I was really talking about wisdom. And I'm a big, I uh, love looking up words in the dictionary. So the definition of wisdom was the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. And of course, when we look at the Bible, and especially as we're going to look both in James and also we're going to spend a little bit of time in Proverbs, whenever you think about wisdom, you always have to think about folly. They kind of are the opposites. Folly is a lack of good sense and a lack of good judgment. And I thought I would start this uh, discussion of wisdom and folly uh, with sharing a personal testimony. So Lori and I love to backcountry ski. And uh, it's one of our favorite things to do. We love going up on the mountain. We get to climb a long ways up, and you get to ski down. But the one big difference about backcountry skiing as opposed to skiing in a park is there's no avalanche control. So when you choose to go in the backcountry, you really need to have a knowledge of avalanche. And that, by the way, there's a lot of other sports. Uh, and when you start taking classes and, and discussing avalanche, there's a lot to know. Um, some of the main things you think about as you're heading to the backcountry is, when was the last storm? How much snow has fallen? Which direction is the wind blowing? Because a heavy snowstorm can move in, is an inch an hour. Wind can move a foot an hour. So wind plays a big role. Is it a westward wind? Is, are you on the leeward side or the other side? Time of day, change in temperature, uh, rapid change in temperature. So many things go into your, um, into your uh, ability to know whether it's safe to go out or not. And, and here we actually, uh, actually have an avalanche report. You can call and say, hey, what's going on up in the mountains here locally? The avalanche center is pretty great. So a couple winters ago, Lori and I went up and uh, we were having a good time on the mountain and ran into some friends and decided to, I decided to come down a different line than everyone else. And everyone, I kind of direct them in the same direction. So uh, Abraham Barr was there and he went first and kind of fell and I went after him and uh, the entire mountainside let go and unbelievably slid with us on it from where we started a long way down as my wife watched it and was praying for me at the time. That was the only, well, that was the only part of wisdom that was going on there. Uh, and we came to a stop and Abraham was still on top of the snow and I was still on top of the snow and we were okay. Um, the key thing taking an avalanche class as you're walking up the slope, the biggest evidence of the risk of avalanche is not surprising. Everyone in the room could guess it. Evidence, evidence of other avalanches, right? That's probably the biggest thing you look for. And as we climbed up Greenview Ridge, I kept looking up at Kosoval Ridge and going, wow, look at those, look at those avalanche lines. Look at those crowns. <laughs> and then we proceeded to ski off down the same direction, the same south eastern slope that those avalanches were. Now, were they old or new? doesn't matter. But point being is, I know a fair amount, have knowledge of avalanches. I demonstrated poor judgment, in fact, foolish judgment uh, that day. And if it, I actually got to share this. Uh, I took an avalanche course again uh, soon thereafter, and two guys came up to me afterwards, and they said, you were right on Sun Bowl. 
you skied that line on what day? And I told him, and he they goes, we skied that same line about two hours before you did. So I was a fool, right? I was foolish to do that, not to use everything else. Those two guys made the same decision and didn't know they were being foolish because they didn't trigger the avalanche. So just because the outcome sometimes is correct doesn't always mean that means you've been wise. Um, but let's jump into what the Bible says. So um, that's my confession for the day. Um, so again, just to clarify as we're going into that, knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing, really. You can know a lot and have a lot of knowledge. Wisdom is truly the application and making ju- ju- good judgments based upon that. So let's open to James chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and... I know we already prayed, but I'm going to pray again. Father, we just thank you again for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for just your presence in our life. God, we just thank you for your word. And your word is truth, and your word gives us wisdom, Lord, as we apply it in our lives and desire to live for you. God, we just pray for this time that you would just allow us to encourage one another, encouraged by your word, Lord, and just we would be filled with your spirit, guided and just open for your instruction. God, speak through me and just uh, encourage us all, Lord, as we desire to gain wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So James 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who show peace, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Um, So this scripture passage in James really kind of focused on, on two kinds of wisdom. Uh, the first it really talks about is the earthly wisdom. Um, and in essence, wisdom is kind of like the advice that you're given. And what James is saying, that earthly wisdom, for the most part, is based upon envy and selfish ambition. Um, as it's mentioned twice, both in verse 14 and 16, he comments on that idea of selfish ambition and envy. Um, do you think the world really promotes that as wisdom? Selfish ambition and envy? Think that's a direct application? I absolutely think it is. Look at Facebook. Look at social media. Um, I digress for a minute, and I'm not going to get political, but it was really interesting. I watched the, uh, the Supreme Court nomination, and a very competent lady is sitting there being, and the senators talk for 20 minutes, and then they let her speak for a minute. I mean, They're not even letting her speak to get the issue. It's all the senators, both Democrats and Republicans, you know, making their statement as opposed to really seeking an idea of what she thinks and what her wisdom is. Um, I just thought that was fascinating. Um, But if we look at, again, what the media shows, if we look at those things, pretty much the wisdom is saying, look out for number one, what's best for me. The envy part, we frequently desire what other people have, their stuff, how they look, their reputation, we all are envious of that, potentially of what the world wants us to be. Ambition, is ambition bad? Not really. 
It depends what your ambition is, right? Paul had many ambitions. His ambition was to preach the gospel, right? An ambition is a desire of a goal to attaining something. Selfish ambition implies that that desire is to serve yourself. Um, I would even argue if we go to the original sin in Genesis 3, Satan's temptation is what? Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God and you will have the knowledge of good and evil. I think that developed both ambition and selfish ambition and envy of desiring to be like God. And obviously pride ties into that very closely. Um, The other thing that it said too is, remember where this, this worldly ambition is coming from. It says very strongly, it does not come from, from heaven. It is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. And even if we go to that original Satan's lie to Adam and Eve, to Adam, what was it? I tell you, you were not surely die. Well, guess what? It was a lie from hell. And when Adam fell for it and went after selfish ambition and envy, it ended up in death, both physical death as well as spiritual death. Um, let's jump to godly wisdom, which is at the end of that. Uh, chapter beginning in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's a phenomenal list. And that is the wisdom that comes down from heaven. Pure, not polluted by the world, unsullied. Peace-loving, I would argue that peace-loving is really our establishing our relationship with God. Usually when we're talking about peace-loving, there's enmity between us and God. It is Jesus that solves that enmity by making peace with us. Consider it. Looking to the needs of others, especially weaker others, but even anyone. Submissive. Bowing to God's authority and even authority around us, whether it's uh, at work or in a marriage or friendship, the ability to be submissive. Full of mercy and good fruit. Simple uh, definition, I think we all know. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Impartial. Doesn't take sides. It's able to um, be appropriate and trustworthy in a conflict. Sincere and truthful. And what I would ask, right, and as I started planning on speaking about wisdom, that is a broad topic, right? Wisdom is so broad and so huge. But this is a template of what wisdom should look like. So as you're pursuing, as you have an ambition, as you're doing anything, I would encourage you to use this as a template. If you're making a decision in your marriage, is it pure? Is it considerate? Is it submissive? Is it impartial and sincere? And that can, again, with your finances, Is it pure? Is it sincere? With your children, all these situations, I strongly encourage you to use that list as a template. And if it's not pure, if it's not peace-loving, not considerate, not submissive, not full of mercy and good fruit, not impartial and not sincere, then you are not pursuing wisdom. Um, Now, this is my temptation. My temptation is... I don't know if we have enough people here to do it. I was going to have everyone open up to Proverbs, especially chapters 13, 14, and 15, and just go through and compare wise and folly. But I'm not going to do that. I have a long list, so we're just going to go through them slowly, what I've come up with. 
Um, so if you have not read the book of Proverbs recently, I strongly encourage you to do it. A, it'll make you laugh because there's some really funny statements like, um, <laughs> my wife is not this, by the way, but better to, I can't remember that, but then to have a, uh, better a drippy faucet than to have a complaining wife, um, which Lori doesn't complain, by the way. She's not like that. But anyway, you're reading through it. You, it is really very insightful and very knowledgeable. And Solomon, again, one would argue, I would say Jesus has the greatest wisdom of all, of course, but Solomon was supposed to be otherwise the greatest wise person. So um, let me make a list of the fool versus the wise. In Proverbs 1, the fool hates knowledge, whereas the wise seek knowledge and truth. In Proverbs 18, the fool has no pleasure in understanding. A wise man's heart guides his mouth and prompts, and, and, uh, prompts him in instruction. In Proverbs 12, the fool enjoys wicked schemes. The wise man does not rejoice with evil. In Proverbs 15, the fool spurns discipline. The wise man is trained up by discipline. In Proverbs 19, the fool speaks perversity. The wise man focuses on whatever is pure, noble, and right. The fool is quick-tempered. The wise man is slow to anger. Proverbs 14, the fool has proud speech. The wise man is humble. Proverbs 12, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. The wise man listens to advice. A fool shows annoyance at once. A prudent man overlooks an insult. That one struck me probably the most out of the ones I was reading. A fool shows annoyance at once. A prudent wise man overlooks an insult. Um, I have to digress for a minute. I'm in the process right now of reading a book called Team of Rivals. It's about Abraham Lincoln. When Abraham Lincoln was elected in 1860, he took all of his rivals that were running against him and made him his cabinet. Um, and the amazing thing is you read about listening to him. When Lincoln had been slighted by someone else in the decade leading up to his election or someone stabbed them in the back or did anything, he frequently wrote them a letter saying, hey, that's okay, I understand. Well, all these people, many of these people, I should say, as he was running for the presidential election, came back and supported him because of the way he overlooked their insults and was able to just put it aside, put it in perspective, and move on. Anyway, great book, Team of Rivals. It's a long book, but it's a great book. But anyway, a fool shows annoyance at once, and a prudent man overlooks an insult. Uh, Proverbs 13, he who walks with the wise will grow wise. A companion of fools will suffer harm. Um, a fool spurns his father's discipline, and a wise man heeds correction and shows prudence. Um, there's a lot more in Proverbs to go into, um, but the key thing from all these sort of things is, again, it's applying the knowledge that you have so you're making right decisions. Um, Matthew 5 through 7, we all know is the Sermon on the Mount, and it's Jesus teaching his uh, followers uh, many, many, many thoughts. And it ends in the very end by saying, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain comes down, the streams rise, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Key things here again, the wise and the foolish had the same knowledge. They all had received the same knowledge. They all knew what the truth was. They all knew the best way was, right? Um, by the way, why might you want to build on the sand rather than on the rock? It's probably easier. Harder to build a foundation in the rock, right? You got to bolt things into there. It's probably not as smooth, right? To build it into the sand is probably a heck of a lot easier to do. Probably easy, goes up faster, quicker, without a lot less effort. I mean, I will argue the same is true as we choose wisdom. Wisdom is frequently the harder choice, but it's worth it. Um, but anyway, um, as we have such a broad topic on wisdom, I'm now going to narrow it down a little bit, and we're going to talk about speech um, because it's something that I have struggled with in my life, and I think it's something as I watch our present state in our nation that many people struggle with, um, of how we speak what we do. Um, so... Um, and not to mention, it's a pretty huge topic within the gospel as well. Um, if you want to read a verse that will give you cheer, uh, ch chills down your spine, at least it does me, open to Matthew chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. Matthew 12, 35 through 37. The good man brings the good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings out the evil things stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words we will be condemned. Step back, pause for just a minute. We all understand that we are saved by grace and grace alone. It's by our walk with Christ and what he has done for us. It's not our works or anything else. But I think what we're going to see as we go through this a little bit is what comes out of our mouth is a reflection of what's in our heart. If what's coming in our mouth is critical and negative, that's a reflection of what our heart is. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, but that gives me pause. Um, when I think about every careless word that I have spoken that I didn't have to give an account. And how that works with grace, because I think God removes our sins from the east to the west, and, and we all, I think we can believe that, but I think this is, Christ is giving a very strong caution of how we speak and what we do. Um, and let's go back to the book of James again. And one of the very first verses that I ever memorized, well, actually the first verse was, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a lonely place to pray, which is Mark 1. But otherwise, very early, and I'm not sure who told me this verse, but I'm sure they told me because they thought I needed it. <laughs> I know I do. Is James 1.19. And basically, it's a verse that probably is familiar to many of you. It says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Um, I don't think that order is casual. It doesn't say, it doesn't reverse the order of it and say, um, slow to speak. It starts off by saying, be quick to listen. They're using it as a verb. Thoughts on how you're quick to listen. What does it look like to be quick to listen? 
Humble. Absolutely. You know what I usually do? What's that, Brandon? What I'm usually doing when someone's speaking is I'm coming up with my reply, my argument of why I disagree with them and how I'm going to refute what they just said. That is not being quick to listen at all. You know, I would argue in our society again right now, we would all do better if we really were trying to understand where other people were coming from, to understand what their argument was of why they thought what they want. You know, we as a church certainly should be able to have discussions with each other regardless of what candidate you're for or against. I should be curious why. Why does Lori think that she wants to vote for X candidate? I mean, I should be curious about that. And the way to do that is to be quick to listen, to be able to listen to what the person says. It's an, it's an active verb. It's not a passive verb. You're, you're actually trying to listen. What are they saying? Gosh, what does that reflect? And maybe even when you're, be, I think being quick to listen may appropriately give you some questions to ask them back so they can talk some more. So you can clarify even more what they think to help them verbalize more what they think. Um, and again, I know I need to work on that. But be quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to speak. Consider what you're about to say. And again, let's go back to the, what the definition of what the, those characteristics were that we used as a template before. Is it pure? Is it peace-loving? Is it considerate? Is it submissive? Is it full of mercy? Is it impartial? Is it sincere? That should reflect what our speech is as we go backwards. Um, James 3, 2 through 12, which is just above where we read the beginning of wisdom, talks a lot about the tongue. James 3, 2 through 12. And it says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a false small, by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being and have been tamed by the man, but no man can tame, can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. With it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt produce fresh water. Um, fairly directly explanatory. Our tongue tends to make great boasts. It's a fire that tends to spread and it corrupts the person. And I love the verse, especially now in California, sets the whole course of his life on fire. Um, I think that's an amazing thing. And I ask this question to everyone. Is there something at some point that you wish you could take back that you've said? And I'll speak for myself. When I'm in the process of defending myself, it always feels really good to defend myself aggressively. And it always feels bad later. And when I choose to be quiet, to be silent, to not defend myself, to not pop back, I always, in the end, think it was better. I saved one of the Proverbs verses for you that I 
was one of my other favorites. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool is considered wise if he keeps silent. Even a fool is considered wise if he keeps silent. By the way, it doesn't mean he is wise, but he may be considered wise just because he's not speaking and speaking foolishness. Um, Finally, again, in verse 8, what I would emphasize here is, I think it sums it up very well. It says, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of poison. So can the tongue tongue be tamed? Exactly, right? No man can tame the tongue, but that's God's job. Um, And my encouragement to you again, if you listen to your words, if you listen to your speech and it's coarse or your thoughts are coarse or you're being attacking or you're being constantly critical, you need to really pause. You really need to consider what your walk with with the Lord is. Um, And I have a pretty simple answer for it. Um, Before we go that again, I think it is really important for all of us to look in the mirror. You know, I, I always believe when I'm reading the scriptures, for the most part, it's speaking at me. It's a mirror for me to look as a reflection. As Jesus said, it's like, who am I to pull the speck out of my brother's eye before I take the log out of my own. So as we're thinking through this, we should always not right now be thinking of our friend or our fellow person or our spouse or someone else who is, wow, they really need to read this or think about what their speech is. Maybe, but this is really for mostly self-reflection about where we are at and what we are choosing to do with this knowledge. Um, The answer is what Brandon said, exactly. It's the spirit. And we're gonna end on flipping over to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, people are pretty familiar with, but we're going to read it and end and talk about this a little bit. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, Key two words are in there too. Selfish, ambition, and envy. Also in that list. In case, same thing that James was saying, same things that we were talking about before. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful natures with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. By the way, out of curiosity, that that list that we just read of the fruit of the Spirit is pretty similar to the list out of James, right? Um, Godly wisdom, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But again, We gain those things by the Holy Spirit, by walking with God, by being with his word, by being in prayer, by having accountability, by coming to church on Sunday morning, by sharing in fellowship, all these sort of things that are going to grow us in a different way. So um, my encouragement to you as I close is basically seek wisdom, 
Um, I think there's many ways to do that, and I think the Word of God is the best place to do it. The other great verse was, is if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. By the way, that's not necessarily true. You can be around wise people, and you can not become wise. But if you choose to model yourself after people that are bearing good fruit, that's going to be very helpful. Um, And again, there's many areas in our life where we need to pursue wisdom. I think right now, there's a general ability in our nation right now to not be kind, to not be loving, and to be super critical. And it's not unique to this nation. It's always been that way. And we're just that way as human beings. Um, But I think we, as the Church of Christ, have the opportunity to demonstrate the wisdom that God has given us, to speak with truth, but to also speak with mercy and grace and compassion and consideration, Um, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Again, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. So... That's what we have for tonight. Let's pray, and we're good. Father God, we just do thank you for this evening, Lord. Thank you for loving us so much, and God, we just are so thankful for Jesus who goes before us, Lord, who loves us. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you give us that gift, Lord, and that um, your Spirit lives in us, God, and we just pray that it would be fresh water coming out of our mouths, Lord, that it would be good fruit, that spills into our families, into our community, into those people around us. And people would see Christ in us, Lord. They would see all those characteristics, Lord, and and desire it, to be convicted by it. God, and we just thank you that you give us the privilege of of walking with you and being, being your children, Lord. We're just so thankful. Allow us to apply the knowledge that we have. Allow us to become more wise each day. And we ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.